Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And we have a question today that we're going to go over. And it's a question that I'm seeing more and more often, both from just clients, people I talk to, and it has to do with I-bonds. So this question is Mike, or is from Mike. And Mike says this. He says, hi, James. Love the podcast. Very informative on meaningful topics. Please keep them coming. Thank you, Mike. He then goes on to say, my question is on I-bonds. They currently yield about 3.5% and will reset in November at possibly a higher rate. I know there are limits on the amount of bonds you can buy per year at 20,000 per couple. What am I missing that in today's fixed income environment, these are not a prime candidate for your fixed income portfolio? Thank you, Mike. All right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for that question. And before we dive in, just a couple quick announcements. Number one, Spotify now allows for reviews. So if you've been listening to the podcast and have been enjoying the podcast, would really, really appreciate it if you would leave a review. And if you are on Spotify listening to this, you now have the ability to do so. So go ahead and leave a five-star review if you've been enjoying the content. Also, as I mentioned on previous episodes, make sure to check us out on YouTube. If you've not already done so, we'll have this episode along with other content there as well. And wanted to highlight a recent review before jumping into today's episode. This review is from RAL17225. They say, I've been searching for a podcast that meets my needs, and this one is it. Not among the best, but it is the best. James selects the best topics for someone thinking about retirement or already in retirement. His real talent, though, is his ability to explain subjects in terms we can all understand. I love the compare and contrast examples he provides. Great teacher. Thank you very much. I always appreciate those reviews. It's fun to get them. And if you have not left one, would really appreciate you doing so. But RAL17225, thank you very much for that review. All right, let's get on with the episode now. The challenge that everyone is facing, or the challenge that a lot of investors are facing, is twofold. Number one, you have interest rates that are near zero. So if you go to the bank and you want any interest on your savings accounts, or if you go buy a bond and you want to earn some interest, the amount of interest that you're going to get is negligible. It's probably somewhere between half a percent to 1% at the absolute best on high yield savings accounts and CDs. Bonds are a little bit higher, but bonds, of course, come with a little bit of risk just in terms of fluctuation of the actual value of your investment itself. And you combine that with the fact that inflation is the highest it's been in about 30 years. So you have very low interest rates that you're earning on your conservative or your safe investments, but your purchasing power is being diminished because inflation is running at rates that haven't been seen in a long time. So as investors, what are we to do? And this is the heart of Mike's question. He said, with I-bonds, they currently yield 3.5%. Again, this was a a few months back. They're currently yielding about 7.1%, a little bit higher than that. But currently, I-bonds are yielding 7.1%. And so the question is, why are these not a no-brainer for us as investors to put at least a portion of our conservative money in? So in today's episode, we're going to go through the pros and cons of I-bonds because there's certainly a use case for them and there are certainly downsides to them. So today's episode will be all about going through that. And the first thing that we want to do is just give some basics about what I-bonds even are. If you're listening to this and you haven't heard of them, you might be thinking, what is an I-bond? Is that something I can go purchase in my investment account? Is that a different type of bond? What it is, is I-bonds are inflation-protected savings bonds. They are issued by the United States Treasury. 
which means corporations don't issue these, your bank's not issuing these. These are issued by the United States of America, the United States Treasury. And I-bonds have what's called a fixed rate of interest, and then they have an inflation adjustment. So today, as I'm recording this, the fixed rate is 0%. So there's no actual interest from the fixed rate, but the inflation adjustment amount is about, or it's exactly 7.12% as of this recording. That will reset in April of 2022. So every six months, that inflation adjustment is reset. If inflation stays high, if it stays exactly where it is, well, then the yield will stay exactly where it is at 7.12%. If inflation increases, the I-bond yield will increase. If the inflation rate decreases, the I-bond yield will decrease. So what it is, is it's a savings account. It's a savings bond where you're actually going to be able to hedge against inflation a lot better than you're going to be able to do so in a regular savings account. So when you are buying an I-bond, you're buying a bond that has a 30-year maturity. And over those 30 years, there's two components to the interest that you're going to get. There is the fixed interest rate, as I just mentioned, and currently that fixed interest rate is zero, which means potentially if inflation goes to zero or if inflation was zero, your return on these I-bonds would be zero because the fixed interest rate is zero, but then there's also the inflation adjustment, which in that example would be zero. Now, if inflation rises and falls over the next few years, over the next 30 years, then as inflation rises, you'll get an inflation adjustment upwards. And as inflation falls, you'll get an inflation adjustment downwards. In every single May and every single November, you get a new interest rate for that inflation adjustment. So as of today, at 7.12% through the end of April of 2022. And then that will be reset in May of 2022. That will be reset in November of 2022. And then May of the next year, November of the next year, and so on and so forth. So it's a 30-year bond, but you don't actually have to hold the I-bond for 30 years. You do have to hold the bond for at least one year. So one year is the minimum. And if you hold it for between one year and five years, you can access the bond, but you're going to pay a penalty for that early redemption. And right now what that penalty is, it is the final three months of interest that you otherwise would have earned. So for example, if you hold the bond for two years, and you are fully credited for all the interest for the first, what would that be, 21 months of that time period, the last three months interest, you would forfeit that. That's the penalty for not holding your bond for at least five years. If you hold it for five years, then you can redeem after that time period with no penalty at all. So just to quickly summarize, you have to hold it for at least one year. So if you're looking to park your money in an I-bond as just a kind of a short-term savings alternative, but you may need those funds, probably not the best place to do it because you do have to hold the funds for one year. If you hold the I-bond for one year, or at least one year, but fewer than five years, you will get hit with the penalty, essentially an early redemption penalty of the final three months interest. Or if you hold the bond for at least five years, then there's no penalty at all. So it's not necessarily a penalty in the sense that you could have less money when you redeem it than you put into the bond. It's just you're giving up the final three months interest. It's kind of like a CD in that sense, where if a lot of CDs, if you pull money out early, you're forfeiting the interest that you otherwise would have earned over that time period. Now, the question is, is, let's say you're listening to this and you say, okay, that sounds great. I don't necessarily need these investments for some time. Should I just replace the bond portion of my portfolio with I-bonds? Or should I replace my savings account with I-bonds? A couple of things to note. Number one is the most that you can purchase in any year is $10,000 worth of I-bonds. So if you're a married couple, the most that you could purchase as a couple is $20,000. 
Now, you could do that every single year, but let's say you have a portfolio and, and it's, it's say, at least several hundred thousand dollars, maybe more in your portfolio. The actual amount that you could put into I-bonds is going to be a negligible amount when you compare it to the overall value of your portfolio. Not to mention that if you, say, have bonds maybe in your traditional IRA, you can't really own those with an I-bond. It's not like if you have your account at TD Ameritrade, for example. And in TD Ameritrade, you're able to buy stocks and bonds and ETFs and index funds and whatever you want. It's not as easy as saying, okay, well, I'm just going to allocate 10000 of that to I-bonds in TD Ameritrade. You can't do that. And this goes for Schwab or Fidelity or any of the custodians. You have to do this direct at Treasury Direct, meaning you cannot do this in an investment account that you have at a custodian. It must be done through Treasury Direct. And because of this, when you go to Treasury Direct, you can't open an IRA there. You can't open a Roth IRA there. Really, you're buying the bonds in a taxable account. So if it's, say, for example, bonds or conservative investment in any type of retirement account that you're thinking about allocating to I-bonds, the reality is you can't. It's only an individual or joint type of a taxable account, and it has to be purchased directly through Treasury Direct. Now, what you can do is you can go to treasurydirect.gov, and you'll come to a very clunky, not very user-friendly website, but it will show you where you can buy I-bonds and all that, and it has to be done there. So this would be separate than anything else you have. It is its own purchase at a separate institution. Now, to me, the best way to learn about something is, especially in my role where I'm advising people about their money, the best way for me to learn about some of these things is, yes, to read about it and understand the interest rates and when is it credited and what's the cycles look like and what's the maturity time and, and, and yada, yada, yada. But sometimes it's just best to actually try this. So I actually went on to Treasury Direct to try to see what does it look like to purchase an I-bond. And I went on. I said, OK, I'm going to put $20,000 in, 10000 for me. 10000 for my wife. I want to see what this experience is like to see, is this worth it? And this is just my experience. Other people maybe have different, but here's what happened. Number one, after work one day, I went to set up my account. I went to treasurydirect.gov and proceeded to have maybe one of the worst user experiences of any financial website I've ever dealt with. And I've dealt with a lot of really bad financial user experiences, whether it's setting up bank accounts or investment accounts, whatever it might be, there's some bad ones out there. Now, if you go to treasurydirect.gov, you will see that this one is particularly bad. There's just nothing easy about the buying experience. Uh, you log on and then you go to this page and there's a whole bunch of tabs across the top. And what you're looking for is you're looking for a page that says where or rather, how can I buy I-bonds? So you go to treasurydirect.gov. There's a whole bunch of tabs across the page. There's a whole bunch of URLs in front of you. And one of them says, how can I buy I-bonds? So you click on that URL. Then it takes you to another page where it says you have two options. Number one, you can buy them in paper form using your federal income tax refund. So that's one way. If possible, I like to avoid paper. It's just paper and the government and sending things back and forth usually is just very inefficient and creates more of a headache. So the second option is buy them in electronic form on our online program at Treasury Direct. This is exactly what it says on the page. So I click that. I click Treasury Direct. And then on there, you start to look around and you try to find this page. It says open an account. You click on the link that says open an account and it walks you through step one, step two, step three, which is really just what type of an account are you opening? And then step two is provide your personal information, your social security number, your email address, your bank, your routing number. Step number three, choose your password, all this stuff, your security images. And I walked through it and I wanted to see what this was like. And, and this is a silly reason by itself not to own something, but it was just a difficult 
experience. And not difficult in the sense that it's asking you questions you don't know the answer to. It just wasn't intuitive and it wasn't easy. It wasn't streamlined or efficient. It was anything but delightful. I'll just leave it at that. But I made it through and I did this for myself. And once I created my profile, I think I got emailed an account number or something. And with that, it said, okay, now go back and create your account and set up a password. So you jump through a few hoops that aren't incredibly difficult, but just a lot more difficult than anything you'd expect, say, if you were opening an account at any other institution or bank. And then I did the same thing for my wife. So I thought, easy enough. I've set up my account. I've linked my bank. Now I just need to wait a couple days and the deposit will go through so I can put the max in of 10000 for me, 10000 for her. Well, within, I think, 24 hours, I got an email from Treasury Direct saying, we cannot verify your wife's identity or her address or something or other, something like that. And I said, okay, how can I fix this? I wanted to see what was the issue. And they had said, here's a form and you can take this form. You can fill all this information out. You can take it to be notarized and then you can mail in a physical copy to this address. And at that point I said, you know what? It's just not worth it. Yes, it's a higher interest rate than we're going to get with these funds in our bank account, but I don't want to go through the hassle of getting this notarized, printing out these forms, getting all this information filled out, sending it in, tracking it, and hoping that this gets taken care of without having to, to call anyone. So I said, oh, whatever, I'll just, I'll just do this for 10000 on my end and my wife's account. We just won't be able to set one up for her. So I did this. I linked my bank. I made the $10,000 contribution. And within a day or two after that, it said, you know what? We cannot process funds from your bank. So I said, okay, I'll just switch the bank account. I think I was trying to pull it from my savings account or something. I think maybe there's an issue with that and they wanted it from checking. So I logged in and I said, okay, how do I switch this to my checking account? And it wasn't as easy as just switching the account funds were pulled from. They again, they sent me a form. They said, because you can't or, or we don't allow you to actually change your bank account online, you have to fill this form out, provide all this new information, have this form notarized, and then send it via paper mail to this address somewhere someplace in the US where they'll process it manually and then update my bank account. So for me at that point, it wasn't a ton of time that I had spent total, but it was probably 25, 30 minutes. And I just thought this is not worth it for me. Not saying for everyone, but for me, I just don't feel like going out and getting something notarized and going through the hassle just to be able to put an amount in where it's certainly more than I'm going to get at my bank, as I mentioned, but the interest rate is you have to ask yourself the question is, is the time I'm exerting into this, is the mental capacity that I'm allowing to be occupied by this, is it worth the interest? And if it was an easy enough approach where I didn't have to get anything notarized or sign anything or yada, yada, yeah, probably it would have been. But having to go through those extra steps and jump through those hoops, in my experience, I just said, you know what, this is not worth it. I'm going to leave it at that. Now, I know other people who have not had to jump through those hoops, but I just did want to mention that caveat that, yes, there's some great interest that you can get here, but it's a limited amount. You can't just put an unlimited amount of your money into I-bonds. And number two, it's not always the easiest thing to have to or to be able to, to get access to. So with that summary Let's go over what are the pros and the cons of I-bonds. Number one, the pros is there's a higher interest than you're going to get probably anywhere else in a guaranteed account or in a safe account. Typically, if you're looking at how much return can you expect, it's going to be directly tied to the risk that you're willing to take. So you're going to get a very low rate of interest in your savings account, but you're also taking a very low risk. There's almost no risk there. Yes, the bank could default or things could happen but you're taking almost no risk, so you're getting almost no return. Now, there's other investments where you could certainly expect a much higher return than the half a percent that banks are paying. 
But to get it, you're going to have to take quite a bit more risk than the bank's going to have. So even bonds, even bonds, as you start to, if you go on a scale of one to 10, with one maybe being cash on the mattress and 10 being the most aggressive type of stocks, bonds are maybe just a, a, I don't know, a two or a three, maybe a four, depending on what type of bond you're looking at. But even bonds, you're starting to take some risk. You're not going to get 7% interest on those bonds. So these I bonds are a way of taking less risk than you would with a traditional bond, say a corporate bond of some type, while still getting a greater interest rate than those bonds would provide. So that's the biggest pro. That's the biggest case you could make for owning I bonds. You're going to get a higher interest rate somewhere else, and it is safe. The other pro is it's going to adjust with inflation. So as I mentioned, there's two components to the interest rate that you're going to get with I bonds. Number one is that fixed rate, which currently is zero. But number two, there's the inflation adjustment, which currently, as of this recording, is 7.12% that will go through the end of April of this year, and then we'll reset to whatever inflation is at that time. So the pro is if inflation is increasing, your interest rate is going to increase with it. Another benefit or another pro is this is not subject to state taxes. So if you go get interest from your bank, you're going to pay federal taxes and you're going to pay state taxes on that interest. With I-bonds, you are still paying federal taxes. You're not going to avoid that. But if you live in a state where there's state income taxes, you don't have to pay taxes at the state level. So that's another benefit. So the benefits are high rate of interest, at least currently. They are safe. It adjusts with inflation. I'm talking about the interest rate, and it's not subject to state taxes. Those are the biggest benefits I see with I-bonds. There are also downsides, though, so let's look at those. Number one, maybe the biggest, is it's just kind of a pain to get to. And, and it's not just a downside because, oh my gosh, you have to go through all these hoops to get it. Not necessarily. If all it took was, say, 20 minutes to set these up, or even 10 minutes in many cases to set it up if you don't have to go through multiple hoops, it's not just the depositing the funds. But now it's you have one more thing to track. You have another tax form that you have to take care of. As especially as people get older, usually they like to simplify their lives. They don't want to add one more thing. If it was as simple as owning I bonds in your current investment account, I use the example of TD Ameritrade. If I could just have my brokerage account there, I'm owning my other funds and investments and just allocate a $10,000 piece to I bonds. Great. That wouldn't be so difficult. But the fact that there's now one more thing to track maybe doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you want to create maximum peace of mind, one way you do that is through getting things organized, getting things streamlined. And this goes against that. It's one more thing to track. Not just one more thing, but a really clunky thing to track, to log into, to track, to get tax forms. And so that to me is, is a big downside of it just doesn't make things easy. Another downside is, and I already kind of mentioned this, but you can't aggregate it with other investments. This would be easy enough if I could go into my existing brokerage account and just allocate that $10,000 piece to an I-bond. Great. That's simple enough. I don't have to worry about tracking one more thing or doing one more thing, but I can't. I have to do this direct at Treasury Direct, and I can only do this in one type of an investment account, which is just an individual account. I can't do it in an IRA or Roth IRA if you wanted to. So that is another downside. Another downside is you're limited to $10,000 per spouse per year. So it's a decent amount. But if you're looking to replace the bond portion or the conservative portion of your entire portfolio with I-bonds, you're probably not going to be able to. There's just a too low of a limit to really make a material difference if you're trying to impact the interest rate on your overall investments. So that limit makes it a downside as well because you're capped on how much you can put in. Now, 
if you, for example, say wanted to have $10,000 set aside for property taxes each year, or maybe you're saving for a car and you say, okay, I'm going to put this $10,000 in and this is going to be my my next car purchase, or you're saving it for a specific goal where you maybe don't need more than $10,000. In my opinion, that could be a great use case for this because it's kind of something separate, which is what you want. Meaning if you want this as part of your retirement portfolio, it's kind of clunky because there's one more thing to track. You lose that organization. But if this is for something specific, a vacation you want to take, saving for your next car, putting money aside for property taxes, whatever it is, I kind of like it for that purpose because you can have this be something separate and you know whatever funds are there are earmarked for that specific goal. And you maybe don't need to save a whole lot more than 10000 per year per spouse for that type of an investment or for that specific goal. But if you want this to be a piece of a much bigger goal, like your retirement savings, the downside is you're just capped on how much you can put in. And then another downside, which I also said this was on the pro end, it adjusts with inflation, which means if inflation goes up, great, then the the interest rate on your I-bond is going to go up. Or if inflation stays high where it is today, great, the I-bond interest will stay high. But if inflation drops significantly, you're not guaranteed to continue receiving that interest rate. And if the I-bond interest rate drops dramatically, and it doesn't end up being that much better than what you're getting at your bank or savings account or in your investment account and other vehicles, is it really worth it to have that money somewhere else in a separate entity that's harder to access than it would be in your brokerage account? So those are just some pros and cons. There are certainly more, but I think I-bonds have been in the news recently because there's been a couple of high-profile articles about them and more people are realizing, gosh, as inflation is going up, but savings yields or interest rates of the bank are staying low. This has been an area where there's some potential to do better, but wanted to flesh that out, get a sense of what's the benefit, what's the downside. I hope that was helpful. Again, if you are listening on Spotify, please leave a review. That's just a new feature that Spotify just recently released. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a review if you haven't already. It would mean a lot. And if you have not tuned into our YouTube page, check us out. The page is called Root Financial Partners, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.